Welcome to Frequently Asked Questions Bible Edition. My name is Greg Davis. I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church of Cashin. I'm here with Dr. Ishwarn Mudliar. Dr. Mudliar, we're asking you some frequently asked questions that we get from people. And sometimes I can take them right to the biblical text, but we thought since you were here, we'd ask you these questions that are kind of on everybody's mind. Uh, I was sent an article recently from Time Magazine and the author, or, or let's say this, the subject of the article was about heaven and hell. And it was a kind of a condensed version of Bart Ehrman's book on heaven and hell. And I want to read you this section because the person that sent it to me was really confused and it turned into a question for them. It says, the Hebrew Bible itself assumes that the dead are simply dead, that their body lies in the grave and that there is no consciousness ever again. It's true that some poetic authors, for example in the Psalms, use the mysterious term Sheol to describe a person's new location. But in most instances, Sheol is simply a synonym for tomb or grave. It's not a place where someone actually goes. The conclusion of the article was that the Jews weren't worried about places like heaven and hell or what they weren't even thinking about places like heaven and hell. Does the Bible talk about hell and specifically does it talk about it in the Old Testament? Yes, indeed it does. It okay. does, and we'll look at a few verses on that. But just to answer the, the author of the article, he should know better. He, he purports to be a scholar and, and knowledgeable. He should know better and he shouldn't be saying those things. Because it is very true that in the Old Testament these verses do exist. And it's also true in ancient Jewish interpretation of the Old Testament and in their writings that they believe in an eternal place of punishment, a fiery place of punishment. They actually do believe in that. And then in the intertestamental period, the J Jewish literature at that time also has plenty of references to punishment and hell. Yeah, now I want to stop you for just a second because he does go on in the article and say this is a later development in Jewish thought. But yes, you're but saying it's very early. Yes, I'm going to say it's early. And part of the problem is he, along with other skeptical, liberal, unbelieving scholars, they date certain parts of the Old Testament very late to fit their paradigm that in Jewish understanding it was very late in, and in the intertestamental period. They even say things that are completely unfounded that the Jews borrowed beliefs about the afterlife, punishment, resurrection from Zoroastrianism, from the Persian religion of Zoroaster. But that's unfounded. There's no way to prove that whatsoever. Uh, we have dates that precede the time of Zoroaster, um, five or 600 BC, and yet they are saying that j the Jews actually about four, three, two, 100 BC, that's when they formulated these beliefs of the afterlife. But certain books that I will cite are, of the Old Testament are even predating those dates. Um, even with some liberal scholars, they will acknowledge that these passages are old, older than the Persian period or the period of Zoroaster. Yeah, one of the things that he's acknowledging in the article is this fixation, even for what he calls the nuns, which are people that really don't have a belief system, that they still believe in places like heaven and hell. And, you know, can you address that just for a second before we jump into the biblical text? Is this idea that we just get fixated on the afterlife because we use it as a crutch or something along those lines? Is well, there anything if, to that? Well, if we can prove that it's in the scripture, 
and it's throughout the scripture, then it's not just human feelings, human opinions. It's not like that. Okay. If it's fixed on scripture, then his argument is irrelevant. So the main thing is to find whether it's in the Bible or not. So let's well, go. Let's do that. Let's do that. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Now, according to even liberal scholars, passages, certain poetic passages in the book of Deuteronomy and elsewhere in the Old Testament, they are put in the category of ancient Hebrew poetry. Ancient Hebrew poetry. And the dates of these passages, according to them, so I'm taking the liberals' argument, according to them, are dated to about 1000 BC. 1000 BC, these passages, ancient Hebrew poetry. That's their label for these kinds of passages. Actually, this is Moses writing it, so it's actually 1400 BC. But to go along with their thinking, 1000 BC, it's still before the period of the time of the Persians and the intertestamental period. It's way before that. And what do we have way before that? We'll begin in Deuteronomy 32 at verse 21. It's in the middle of the paragraph where God is pronouncing judgment because of the people's sin. 32:21. They have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in my anger and burns to the lowest part of Sheol. His fire burns to the lowest part of Sheol and consumes the earth with its yield and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. He's speaking of not only physical fiery punishment, but that fire actually goes all the way down to hell, to the lowest part of Sheol. Sheol is another term for the afterlife, the place of the departed spirits which also Bart Ehrman should know this, and he could, if he did not study it being a New Testament scholar, he could easily pick up a book on Old Testament religion, Old Testament theology, a Bible dictionary, where even liberal dictionaries will say that the Jews of the Old Testament had concepts of the afterlife in the Old Testament. And that should not surprise us because the Ugaridians had a concept, the Egyptians had a concept, the uh, Assyrians and the Babylonians had concepts of the afterlife. They all believed that there would be a place of punishment. Um, so it should not be incredible to think that the ancient Hebrew people also had a view of a place of punishment in the afterlife. Yeah, I want to ask you just one question as we're turning to these passages. You, you talked about all these different cultures that had an idea of the afterlife. Is that something that's given to us by God, do you think, this idea that there has to be something after this? Yes, certainly, because that's what Romans 1 says. Romans 1 teaches us that not only do we know God in terms of His existence and certain attributes of God from the creation of the world, but it also teaches us that God has given us a conscience and ha has made us aware of that fact. So anyone who denies the afterlife and either heaven or hell is denying what he knows to be true in his own conscience. His own conscience. Because, for example... It says here in Romans 1, 32, Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. They know the ordinance of God. 
that those who practice such things are worthy of death. Then chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore you are without excuse, every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who practice uh, you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. And do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? And we do know he's speaking of the future day of judgment in verses 5 and 6. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. And this is what Paul is saying, the Apostle Paul is saying, every man knows that. He knows that from the physical creation, and he knows that from his conscience. Yes. He knows these truths. So, now let's go back to okay. the Scripture okay. to look at a couple of examples of how they are mentioned here. One is Psalm 11. Psalm 11, verse 4 verses 4 to 6. Psalm 11, 4. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence His soul hates. Upon the wicked He will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. Right there, the language of eternal fire or eternal punishment is very clear. Turn again to another one of the Psalms, Psalm 21. Psalm 21. This Psalm in verse 7 in the Aramaic Targum, which is a translation with, with slight interpretations, it's an ancient translation, a Jewish translation of the Hebrew Psalms, into the Aramaic language. At verse 7 it says, For the King Messiah, or King Christ, trusts in the Lord. They take this to be a Christological psalm. Okay. They, that's the way they understand it, and I think they are correct. Mm -hmm. Well, another one of the a little uh, interpretive note that they have, it picks up at verse 9. You will make them as fiery as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord will swallow them up in His wrath, and fire will devour them. Fire will devour them. The Targum, the Aramaic Targum of the Jews, um, it says, the inferno of Gehenna. It's in, instead of just fire will devour them, it says, the inferno or the fire of Gehenna. And what is Gehenna? Gehenna is what Christ kept speaking of, in, especially in the book of Matthew. Talking about hell. It's hell. Yeah. It's hell. Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, in Gehenna. And that obviously is speaking of a future punishment in the afterlife that we should fear more than what man can do to our physical bodies. Now, in the excerpt you read from the Time Magazine article, it said something about um, after we die, that's all we cease to exist. Some, some comment like that. Once you're dead, you're dead. Once you're dead, There's you're dead. There's only death after death. Yes. Now, there are certain verses such as in Ecclesiastes and elsewhere 
that seem to indicate that, but it's indicating it in reference to our physical human activity. It's not speaking of it in reference to the afterlife. It's not meaning that. Because, for example, Ecclesiastes has a verse or two to that point. But within the same book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he says in verse 7, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. The dust, yes, the body goes to the grave, but the Spirit does not cease to exist. It returns to God. Mm -hmm. And we might ask, for what purpose does it return to God? Verse 13, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. The conclusion when all has been heard is, Fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person, because God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And that's after death. That's after death. It's clearly after death that there is a day of judgment that awaits every one of us. Now, one more place in the Old Testament is Daniel chapter 12. The book of Daniel, the prophet, chapter 12, Daniel 12, verse 2. We'll read verses 12, uh, 12, 2 and 3. Verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Daniel is not only speaking of the afterlife, he's also speaking of resurrection for the righteous and the wicked. He said, the righteous in verse 2, they will awake to everlasting life. That means their bodies will be resurrected from the dead to everlasting life, but the others, the rest of mankind who do not believe the gospel, they will rise to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And then the righteous will shine brightly, as it says in verse 3. And even Jesus in, uh, quotes a, a part of this in uh, Matthew 13. So this clearly is teaching the afterlife, afterlife punishment, resurrection for the righteous and the wicked, and this is the way we will exist forever and ever. Yes. So a couple of questions before we close. Uh, Ehrman makes the argument poetic books. He, he talks about the poetic books. Uh, that maybe he's saying those don't communicate reality. There's, uh, they're just poems. Could you address that? Well, yes. Um, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. That's poetry. That's also a riddle. But it is describing, that's Judges 14, 14. It's describing a reality that what, Samson, what Samson did. What Samson did and the honey that he found in the lion, right? So that's describing a reality. Just because something is poetry does not mean we're dealing with fiction and mythology. Poetry often is a vehicle to express historical truth, realities, facts. Could, could you give us another example of that? Another example in the Old Testament? Yes. Okay. We have the first poet. The first poet is Adam in Genesis chapter 2. After Eve was created and Eve was brought to him, what does he say? And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And that's poetry. And that's poetry. And that should not be astonishing to us also in English because not only English but every language 
Do, do we not write poetry to describe something that happened to us? The to songs? describe beauty or, yeah. Beauty. What about pop songs? Mm -hmm. uh, a man sings about a broken relationship and he says, she doesn't want me anymore. And he makes it in. And his heart's broken. Yeah, and his heart is broken. And so he makes it into poetry and he sings it as a song. But he's describing what actually happened to him. Yeah. This happens all the time. So poetry is not a, a vehicle for fiction. Yes. It doesn't have to be that. And by the way, even historical narrative as it's written, it could also be describing mythology. It could be describing historical events, but it could also be describing mythology. The vehicle of communication, therefore, is not necessarily an indicator as to what is being explained as whether it's real or not. No. It's the context. It's the way it's used. It's the context. And there's plenty of contexts that show that it is real in reference to eternal punishment or hell. Yeah. Well, as we close, there's one thing that I want to address, and that is there could be someone watching this video that's worried about hell, that really believes in it, but they don't know how to avoid it. What, what word of encouragement would you bring them this morning? John 3:36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. We must believe in the gospel of Christ, that he came into the world to die and rise again for my sins. He took my punishment so that I will not spend all of eternity in the lake of fire in hell. So believe in Jesus Christ, read your Bible, find a Bible teaching church, and examine everything that you hear based on what is actually found in the Bible. Not a, a vague interpretation of it, not vague references to the Bible, but actually what the Bible says. That is a great word of encouragement. Thank you for answering these frequently asked questions, Dr. Moodley. You're welcome.